You know, as we were worshiping God this morning, why I was focused on uh, this prayer that Paul prayed. It's over in Ephesians 3. Uh, Paul prayed this over the church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul was preparing that church of Ephesus to take over uh, the church of Jesus Christ on the earth, to be the leader. And his spiritual son, Timothy, he put in that church as a pastor. Timothy was his legacy. And so, but this prayer in chapter 3, Paul prays, I pray most of all that you would begin to understand the height, the breadth, the depth of the love of God towards you. Although you, 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 you'll, you'll increase in this through all eternity and you'll never, get, you'll never get it all. You'll never get to the end. So most of all, Paul says he prayed this. And, and I just, uh, you know, God loves you and me so much. His love is scandalous. It's promiscuous. It's whatever you want to call it. It's crazy to our mind. It's, it's that big, and we'll never get to the end of it. Over in 1 Corinthians 13, why God describes his love towards us, and he says, um, um, I always think the best of you. I'm loyal to you no matter what the cost. I always stand my ground in defending you, and I never even notice when you do it wrong. That's the way God looks at us. You know, when Jesus was going to start his ministry on earth, while well, he's baptized by John the Baptist, and a voice from heaven, this is God speaking over him, he said, this is my much-loved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't done one spiritual thing so far. God doesn't care about your performance. He cares about you. Because he says that over each one of us. This is my much-loved son. This is my much-loved daughter. I'm so pleased with them. And you might say, well, you don't know where I was last night, or you don't know how I've been treating my family lately. Yeah, God don't care about that. He chooses to not even notice when you do it wrong. He'll defend you when you're dead wrong. <laughs> He'll always stand his ground in defending you. He'll be loyal to you. He'll always think the best of you. You know, back some time ago, um, um, I read this story, and uh, um, this is written by, well, Fred and Sharon Wright um, about 20 years ago, why they were the father and mother of a movement, of international move of God, um, just bringing people to some understanding of the love of God. And, and when, I re when I read this story, I I've told this before, but uh, I realized how far I had to go uh, in, that, in that department of understanding how God loved me. But, but, but Fred, see what they do, he, they'd have him come all over the world and speak at different churches to tell believers that God loved them. And uh, so he said one day he was just meditating himself on that verse in Hebrews where it talks about come boldly to the throne room of God and make your requests made known to him. He'll give you grace and, and mercy and take care of what you need, basically. So as he was meditating on that, why God gave him an open vision of what that was like to come into the throne room. And, and so he, he could hear all this, all this noise, this music, this worship coming out of this room and he'd come around the corner, and there God was sitting on a throne in this room, and all these saints and angels were worshiping God just, just violently. And, but God caught a glimpse in the corner of his eye of Fred outside the door of the room. And God jumped up and ran and grabbed him, and he said, Oh, Fred, I'm so happy you come to see me. Man, I love you so much. And he spun him all around the room, and, and, uh, and, and it's just having a time with Fred. But you know, God thinks that way about each one of us. You know, the Bible says that God dances over us in celebration. And you say, well, well, what's he dancing over me for? Did you hear what I said yesterday? Uh, God, God's so much bigger than those little details. He's celebrating you and me today. And so with all that being said about how much God loves you and me, why don't you love yourself? You know, when we think about ourselves, why first thing we think about is where we need to improve, and I made this mistake or got that. Well, I might love myself more after I lost 20 pounds or or 100 pounds, or or uh, or maybe when I'm a if I'm a better 
if I'm a better son, a better daughter, a better father, a better husband, well, then it might be easier to love myself. Hey, you got, that's the way you get better. That's why Paul said, most of all, I pray that you'd understand this great love that God has for us because if you could start to understand that, you'd start to love yourself. Then you could love God, and you could love your neighbor, and you could love your wife or your husband or your family. See, that's how the kingdom of God works. But I, I tell you, I, I know this, that God's given you and me permission to love ourselves today. Scandalously. You can make mistakes. That's all right. We all make... <laughs> find me somebody perfect, and I'll find you a liar. Yeah, but... <laughs> The thing is, you can love yourself while you're getting better. Because that's the way you'll get better. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to move on with our service, man. Why don't you greet each other, especially fi find, a, find a mother, uh, uh, biological or spiritual, and tell them thank you. Well, man, isn't this a beautiful day outside today? Man, everything looks so green and uh, with the sun shining. And, um, boy, it's good to have spring here. Well, it's my privilege to receive God's tithes and our offering this morning. Boy, I didn't tell you guys how good you look today. Yeah, man, I, I, I love having a family. <laughs> I love having a church family here. Uh, but, but anyway, we're going to receive God's tithes and, and, uh, and our offerings. We've got some ushers, and they've got envelopes. If you're giving cash, you want a receipt, why, they'll give you an envelope. If you're, if, if you're giving, uh, you know, giving, if you're watching online, why, you can mail checks to Destiny Church. I think, yeah, they got the addresses up there. And, and you can text even uh, to give and, 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 and give that way. And so, um, so I, I always like to bring, uh, say, some uh, kingdom principle uh, during this time because it's an important time of the service. And, um, and, I, and, and so I was thinking about this this morning. You know, um, you know the last year or so, uh, there's been a lot of questions about what's been going on in the world. And I mean, I, um, but, the, but there's one clear answer, and that's that the church of Jesus Christ obviously needs to run things. And, um, you know, that's why God said over in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, at the end of that chapter, and I think this is an important piece of Scripture, he said that, um, you know, Jesus rules the universes, but he does it through his church. And, in fact, his church brings his presence and his power to the earth. And, you know, um, of course, if you're going to run things, it takes money. I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, bringing this to home here. And, you know, I've been, I've been around a little while, and, um, and, boy, I've seen over the years just, uh, just many just wonderful God-inspired ideas. Uh, in, in our local church, things that would better the communities around us, Th things that would actually bring, um, uh, you know, the good things of the kingdom of God to earth. You know, anything that, w whenever something improves on earth, it's because somebody got hold of a kingdom principle in that area. And so, so there's been so many of these God-inspired ideas, but the same limitation has come every time, and that's a lack of money. And so, um, and you know, so like, like, I know you people here, you, you, you have such great hearts, and, uh, and I'm there, I mean, there's not one person in this room, and, and probably watching online too, that it wouldn't be your heart's desire that your tithe this next year would be $100,000. And you'd match that with your offering too. That, that'd be your heart's desire. Man, I know that's mine, and... But the thing is, I mean, I, I, I mean, do the math. You're better at math than me. You've got to make a lot of money in order for that to be the tenth of your income, your tithe. And, um, and, and, and so I'm going to ask you to do a couple things this morning. Uh, the first one is this. Uh, would you dream with me that when God said that for tithers that um, he would rebuke the devourer on their behalf, that means nothing will ever get stolen from you if you're a tither. That he would open up the windows of heaven and pour out so much money on you as a tither that you couldn't keep track of it all. Even if you're an accountant, he didn't make any stipulations there. So would you just believe with me that God isn't lying when he said that? 
Something else he says for, for someone that gives an offering that he's going to guarantee you a hundred times as much money back as what you gave in the offering. Would you just agree with me that God's not a liar? That he's actually telling the truth when he said that? So, so that's the first thing. And, and then the second thing is this. What, when you tithe or give an offering, would you have communion with God when you do that? You know, you don't have to be in church to have communion. In fact, I have communion every day. But what that is, is it's a covenant meal. God's got a covenant with you and me on those things, on that, what I mentioned. If we tithe, he gave his word that the devourer would be rebuked. If you're a tither and you get sick, why, something's wrong. And you've got, to stand, you've got to defend that. You've got to stand up and say, I'm not having this. Uh, or, or if you're, uh, you run into some financial difficulty, I mean, even if it's your own mistake, God will tell you how to straighten things out. It uh, doesn't matter. But you stand on that. That's God's word. And same thing about opening the windows of heaven. I mean, if you're not experiencing the favor, the blessing of God, it's time to get mad about that. That that's not happening because something's wrong and you gotta, you, you, you got to enforce that. And, uh, and, but... But, but that's God's covenant towards me and you. Man, if, if I give in an offering and I don't get at least 100 times as much back, something's wrong and I'm mad about it. That, that, that's, a, that's what a covenant meal is. And so you have that covenant meal with God, and so on a, just a regular basis, this is, be, this is becoming real in your thinking, in your heart, in your covenanting with God. And so... So I'm just asking you to do those two things because I think there's so many things we could do in this region right here. Things would look different where we live than other places. Uh, you know, when they write the history books about this time, I want us to be in those books. I want us, I wanted to read that we did something that made things better here. That's why God wants his church to run the earth. So would you t take your God's tithes and our offerings in hand, and we'll, we'll agree in prayer together over them. And thank you, Father God. Man, we recognize you are our source. Man, you're not only our source of money, but you're our source of joy, our source of peace, our source of life. We recognize that now. And so we, we enter into this uh, covenant relationship with you in, in tithing, giving you 10% of, of our income that you blessed us with and enter into this covenant relationship of giving to get your kingdom working on the earth. Thank you for the privilege of being in partnership with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, ushers, you can serve the people here. Um, you know, because it's Mother's Day today, why, we've got something special. Um, we have a mother and a daughter that are going to bring the Word of God together to us. And so I'm going to introduce... Uh, my wife, Terry, and my daughter, Lauren, right now. Ooh, good morning. Can you guys all see that? You'll see it on the screens as well. But um, if you guys can see that, that's important. There it is. Hey, happy Mother's Day. To all the mamas, all the grandmas, all those who serve as a mama to those around you, to the plant moms, to the puppy moms, to those little toddlers that can't help themselves but mother those babies, we're celebrating the nurturers today. So happy Mother's Day. Um, like Dad said, my name is Lauren Cornamone, and I um, am on staff here as the worship director. I've got three little ones that I am privileged to they're waving, train, and grow, and love on the process. And I'm just really happy to be with you today. And this is my mom. Well, good morning. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> Brought my fan section. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, uh -huh. so I'm really happy to be here today. I'm, I'm Terry Drexler, Teresa Drexler, depending on how you know me, I guess. <laughs> um, and I have three kids, uh, Leah and Lauren and David. And... Um, I'm really excited to be here, a little nervous. I'm going to just say that right up front. And <laughs> but we're, we're excited because I think we have a, a good word. Mm -hmm. And so um, before I, we get started, I'll just pray, pray over the message here. 
And Father God, we just are so thankful for your church and for the opportunity to be here today. And we just trust you, Lord God, to minister to hearts uh, with this message and to be with us in the delivery of it. And we just praise you, Lord God, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, so the painting is kind of a feature today. Um, this painting has intrigued me for quite, quite some time. It's called The Four, and it's a, the original was done by Tri Trisha Robinson, and um, it had kind of stayed with me, and I was thinking about it for so often that I asked Leah if she would make me a, a copy of it just for my use at home, and so I see these ladies every day. They're in my room, and, and I think about them, and um, these four women are the mothers in Jesus's family line, in the ancestry. Um, they're grandmothers for many generations. And they are Tamar, Rahab, with the red ribbon there, Ruth, with the sheaths of uh, grain, and Bathsheba, with the baby. And so, um, and God chose their stories out of all the women in Jesus' family line to be included in the, the Bible. They're the only four called out in uh, Jesus' genealogy or ancestry line besides Mary that are women. And um, so I thought that today would be a good day to look at them. You know, who are these ladies? And, you know, it's a long time ago. We don't know a lot about them, but, uh, but um, we want to talk about what we do know about them. The, the thing they all share is they are not perfect people. They have some real stories and some real baggage in their life. And uh, one was a, a prostitute. One pretended to be a prostitute to secure a child that had been promised to her, and that was Tamar. Three of them were widows. And so they had gone through much loss. Uh, one was a victim, you might say, almost of abduction. Um, and we'll talk about that. We know one lost a baby. And, um, and so they were dealing with a lot of losses and sadness and rejection and judgment against them. And they had a lot of reasons to fear in their life, things that had come up against them and caused circumstances to, uh, to, you know, put them where they were. They, they were extreme cases. And, um, and one thing else uh, true about them, we know that three, but it is possible that four of them, were foreigners in the Israelite line. Um, Tamar and Rahab were Canaanites. Ruth was a Moabite. Um, we, it doesn't say what Bathsheba was, but her husband was a Hittite. And so it's possible she was a Hittite. So uh, they were foreigners. And um, as a foreigner in the Israeli culture then, they were outsiders. They were looked at like they are not chosen people. They are not chosen by God. And yet, um, it, we'll take a, t a look at them and we'll just see that you know, God chose them and worked with them and worked through them. And um, each of them had a promise. What they knew at that time, you know, it was Old Testament. Um, these people would not have been learned about the scripture in any way. They were other religions. But they found a promise that they believed was from God and, and they moved forward with that. And so we're going to share the message today. So we'll go back and forth. I hope it comes out okay, but I'm going to turn it over to uh, Lauren. And we're going to start with Tamar. You can find her story in Genesis 38, and it's one that I really wasn't familiar with until we started studying this one. But you can see how, just like Dad was saying in kind of the exhortation, or Dave, excuse me, was saying in the exhortation that God just loves and he redeems. And so in, with Tamar, she was married to Judah's son. Now, Judah was one of the 12, right? After her husband died, which was a son of Judah, she was promised by Judah, her father-in-law, a marriage in that family that would produce a child and a future for her. But he did not follow through. He didn't, he didn't fulfill that promise for her. So she disguised herself as a prostitute. 
and became pregnant by him and risked, because that was very against the law at the time. She risked it all in that one move. Um, and as he was about, he was a man of judgment, and so he came, and as he was about to burn her alive, he noticed that she was carrying his walking stick and his signet ring, and he realized that child's mine. And so it saved her, that stealth action. And so she was recognized as more righteous. Even he said that, you are more right than I am. And so she produced two twin boys, and one of them is named Perez. You can follow Perez. He's mentioned many times, and his family line was mentioned many times. But she likely raised her children on her own. So she's like a single mom. And, um, but you can see that her, her son and her, his, excuse me, his ancestors, the Perizzites, were recognized as valiant and even noted in Ruth, again, later on, it says um, that Tamar and her son Perez were no mentioned as a blessing over Ruth. And here in Ruth 4.12, it says, And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman, talking about Ruth, who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. And so God redeemed her, and, and her by her actions, by her faith in what God can do. Um, another one, the second one with the red or crimson was Rahab. And some of us might know that story a little bit better, but she was recognized as a prostitute in Jericho. So again, these aren't like the high and mighty, the golden girls. She lied, right? <laughs> she lied to hide the spies. And the king's man came looking for, for these spies because they knew that they had come to town and they knew that they had stopped at her home. And she lied to cover them. And then when they... Um, when she was telling the story, she encouraged those spies by saying, we've heard about what your God has done, and our hearts are melting with fear. And so she told them kind of the inside story, like Jericho's not this big, strong war, war city. We're actually afraid of what your God can do. And so she had more faith in what God could do and the stories that she had heard about what he could do and communicated that to those spies. She made a conscious choice for God based upon the facts that she knew about him, what she had seen God do to their enemies, to the enemies of the Hebrews, and she responded with that faith. She's even noted in the Hebrew heroes of faith. I think she's the only woman that's noted in the... Oh, Sarah. Mm -mm, there's another one. Um, thanks, Mom. Acted out. <laughs> yep. Um, and then because of her choice, she and her family were saved when, the, when God conquered the city of Jericho. And so that was a big choice on her. And she was grafted into the Jewish line after that and became the mother of Boaz. Which, go ahead, Matt. Okay, so um, Ruth is our third woman. Ruth was the widow of an of a Israeli um, man, who was living in Moab, and she was a Moabite. They had gone into Moab, uh, her husband, at, I don't even know they were married at the time, but um, Naomi, his, her husband, her two sons, went into Moab because there was famine, and they were looking for resources and food. And um, what we know is that in Moab, um, then there became a famine there, but I'm missing up the story here. But <laughs> So while they were there, um, they started losing the men in the family. The, the husband died, Naomi's husband died, and then um, Naomi's two sons died, and one of them was Ruth's husband, and so he died. And so there was no resources left. It was three women, and, and they were on their own, and they then heard that the food was back in their homeland, and so Naomi made a plan that she was going to return there where there would be resources. And the original plan was these girls were going to come with her two daughter-in-laws, um, but she stopped on the way and said, no, go back to your people. Go back to your mother's homes. Go back to your own culture. Go back to your own family and your own land, and, and hope and, you know, look for other husbands. You still have a chance to have a life. And and that would have been what they needed was, you know, a family unit to support them. But um, the one daughter-in-law left, but Ruth would not. She, she's, the Bible says she clung to Naomi. And that act of clinging is really a covenant action. She, that was when she just declared that she was 
going to cling to Naomi, cling to her God, cling to her people. And that the verse in Ruth 1, uh, 16 and 17 says, Wherever you live, I'll live. Your, for your people will become my people, and your God will become my God. So that covenant action where she was betrothing or covenanting with Naomi, she was, was her time when she covenanted with the God of Israel. And they went on and returned. And um, by making that covenant, she then accessed God to move in her life. And so that was her promise that she was clinging to. And so she was expecting to be a foreigner. She knew she was a foreigner when she came back to that land. And she accepted, you know, guidance and mentoring from her mother-in-law to help guide her through how do you handle this new culture I've just moved into. And um, while working, um, she was able to connect with Boaz, and he got to know her as a, a righteous and honorable woman. And he he's spoke a, a, a blessing to her before they married that says, May the Lord reward your efforts. May your act of kindness be repaid fully from the Lord of God of Israel from whom you've sought protection. So that, that was, he could see what she had chosen as um, her loyalty, her God, her covenant. And, um, and then the next thing he did was work to make her his wife. And so, um, and that was just based on that faithfulness. And so she became the, the mother of Obed, who is the grandfather to King David. Okay. So then we jump ahead, and um, the fourth woman is Bathsheba. Uh, she was married to Uriah the Hittite. And um, while her husband was at war, um, King David saw her, and he summoned her you know, had people go and find her and bring her to the, to the um, palace. And, you know, I see that she had no option in this. You know, when the king is calling you in, it's, I know there are different versions of that story out there, but what we know is he called her into the palace. And the next thing, she was pregnant, and, um, she, and um, King David took matters in his hand and sent her husband out to war in a battle that, where his life was taken. So he was killed by David's decision, and then she also lost that baby. And so, I mean, you know, we're people. Can you imagine yeah. that situation in your life? Um, she's lost everything. She lost the home that she had hoped for with her husband, then her new hope in this new baby. It was just taken. But um, it doesn't say a lot about Bathsheba, but it, it never says anything negative. She didn't seem to have any bitterness in her about the circumstances that came about. And she did have another son, Solomon. And um, the promise that she believed was the promise made by King David that her son was going to be the king. And she clung to that. And when that promise was threatened by another one of David's sons um, crowning himself king, she went to seek out the prophet of uh, God and, and took direction from him about what do I do to next to secure this promise that I have put my trust in. And so, and of course, um, he told her what to do, and she did it, and Solomon became king. And um, in that way, Jesus' line was continued. And so those are our four ladies, the four women in the, the painting. And um, we just wanted to give you a brief look. It's a big span of time <laughs> to cover. But we wanted to now talk about what can we learn from these women. You know, I believe that the baggage and the situations that came on them could make somebody feel disqualified, ineligible, and kind of hope and hopeless, but um, they were not disqualified. Uh, they were the foreigners, and you know God chose them, and um, and each of them clung to their promise and to access God. And so I'm going to let Lauren take it from here. Yeah. is that good? These are our mo mothers, our our long lost grandmothers, our great grandmothers, people that we can take in our heritage from. And so when we look at them, 
first, I want to cast a big net. It's Mother's Day, and so there's things from these stories that we can take as moms or parents and apply directly to our children, but I also want to open it up and say if you have a purpose, which you have a purpose, if you have a destiny, you have a destiny and an assignment and something that God has called you to, you can take these truths and apply them to them. Um, the first thing I saw was that all of their stories, what happened to them, could be things that would prey upon your mind and, like mom said, could disqualify you if you allowed them to. You could stay stuck in these stories. They could have chosen to stay stuck and be defined by, um, I was taken, I was, you know, taken from my family or my, my husband has passed away or nobody is looking at me like I'm special. But these are women that stood past that and just grabbed promise. You know, one of the scripture verses in Revelation, which we know really, really well as a church, is the accuser of the brethren who walks about, and it says, who relentlessly accuse them day and night. Now, this is past tense, but this is happening today. And whether you're a mom and you've experienced this or just a son and daughter of the Lord, you have heard the accuser of the brethren. And he tries. His tactics have never changed. All he can do is lie. Right, kids? All he can do is lie. That is something we talk about. But it says, for the accuser of the brothers and sisters who relentlessly accuse them day and night before our God has now been defeated, cast down once and for all. And it wasn't through our own good doing. It's through the cross. They conquered him completely through the blood of the lamb and the powerful word of his testimony. Now, all these ladies lived before Jesus died on that cross, but they glimpsed that new covenant. They glimpsed that power from the cross, and they chose to grab the promise. And this morning, we can do the same thing, because the first thing that happens when we don't feel like we measure up, when we fail, is that the accuser comes and tries to keep you stuck. But you can rise, and you can say, I'm covered by the blood of the lamb, and I will testify of the goodness of the Lord and what he did on that cross to redeem me. And that is how we can step out of those situations. You know, the enemy is just incessant with his slander. And I mean, I know as a mother, there are moments where I fail and I fail hard. You know, the righteous, they fall seven times, but they what? They come on, they get back up. And this is the thing. We get back up, not on our own strength, not on our own accord, but because of what Jesus did and because he can wash us, we can step forward. And so that's something that we can take this morning. I look at these examples and I say that they had every reason to stay down, but they didn't. And because of that, Jesus was brought to the earth. It's powerful when you decide to think that his promises are more real than my failure. Come on. The other thing, and I just loved studying this, but in Mark 10, 13 through 16, if you want to look it up, it's the story of when the children were brought to Jesus. Now, I can identify with these parents. They knew that something was going on with this person named Jesus. They knew that there was healings. Two of the three people that he raised from the dead were children. So I would imagine they had hope and they had promise in their heart. So, they, so it says in Mark 10, the parents kept bringing their children to Jesus so that he would lay his hands on them and bless them. And you guys know the story. The disciples were rebuking them and saying, hey, he's way too busy for this. He's way too important for your kids. And Jesus was displeased at that thought. But he said, no, let the children come. And in fact, in order to inherit the kingdom of, of God, you have to become like a child with the openness and the curiosity. And then he, what I loved about this, he embraced each child and he took him, them up in his arms and he laid his hands on, on them lovingly, blessing each one of them. As a mom, this speaks to my heart that the, you know, the result wasn't the issue. Getting them to Jesus was the issue. Introducing the person of Jesus and bringing, just bringing them to him. And then you see Jesus' most compassionate response is he met those children there, took them up in his arms, and he blessed them. By faith, we can still receive that same blessing over our kids. Now, to speak to that as just sons and daughters of the king, anything that God's commissioned you to, it is not your job. There is no striving in the kingdom. 
We bring that assignment, we bring that purpose to the Lord, and he touches that, and he blesses it. There's no striving. I know that in this room, there are callings and destinies on your life that are big, that you, or they should be. Dream, dream a little dream with me, Jesus would say, and he'll open your eyes to something that is impossible to do in your own strength. And so bring it to him, and he meets that, and he blesses it, and he gives the ability, and he takes it up in his arms. You know, the third thing that his dad was sharing this morning, Jesus was just reminding me, he looks on you not as a 40, 50, 60, 34-year-old adult, and it goes on, 99, whatever your age is. He looks at you as a son and a daughter. The same compassionate response that Jesus had toward those children, he's looking at you with that same response to bless you, to embrace you, to say, come. And, and there will be resistance to coming. But we come boldly. Amen? Those are a couple little things that I caught, but mom caught more. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounded so good. <laughs> Um, keep on here. Well, so if, if we're going to bring our children to Jesus, and that, that is our, the thing we can do, the, you know, those mothers, they were Old Testament. Their, their mission was to bring Jesus to the earth. Our mission now in, in our New Testament life is to bring the kingdom into the earth. And so to bring the kingdom into the earth, you know, we need to pass that to our children. We don't just take what we've got and keep on to ourselves. So the and this verse, when I first read it, it just jumped off the page, but it doesn't seem like it would really necessarily be the one for this message. But in Romans 10, 14, it says, But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And I mean, I'm pretty old. Every time I've ever heard that verse, I think of the missionaries and the preachers and the apostles that are traveling the world. They're going to other countries, and they are preaching the gospel to people. But this is for parents. You are the person to bring, to tell your children about Jesus, to tell them. They, you know, they, um, it's parents first, and it's the right time. When, you're, when you have your children and they're developing. They are open to hear and receive. And so that's a huge opportunity. And so what do you do with that? You tell them. So what do you tell them? You tell them what you believe. You believe in Jesus, that he's the Savior. And you teach them to pray. And, you know, from the time David and I were, were saved and started having kids, you know, we were learning how faith worked. Um, we included our kids in that um, they were with us when we were praying for big things in our life I mean we we used to be dairy farmers I mean, this is going back a number of decades now but we had a herd of cows we had farmland we had you know a, a lot going on there and challenges um, during that time period um, for sure and when when we had those things happening our kids were praying with us they you know their hands were on on the things we were praying for. And um, whether it was cows and calves and finances and land and crops or whatever it was, it was big adult issues, but you know they were with us pretty much every day. And, and when we saw God move on those things, they saw God moving on those things. They could understand that we had had an answers to prayer. And so, you know, you keep them, you're telling them what you believe, and you're sharing it with them, and you're having them believe with you, and they are seeing God answer and move on things. And so, even when they were into their teens then, um, I mean, I know that Lauren remembers doing prayer walks. I'm sure Leah remembers that. Um, my son, too. <laughs> you know, we, we had them praying and acting like God was real and expecting to see things happen, and their faith grew from that. And so, um, <clears throat> let's see. The other thing that you can do is teach them about the Holy Spirit. You know, when Jesus was getting ready to leave um, the earth, he told his apostles, it's best for you that I go away so I can send you um, the advocate. And the advocate won't come if, unless I go away. Well, the advocate he knew would be better for them than him. Well, you can imagine how, you know, as a faulty parent, 
the advocate, if, if my children have the Holy Spirit, they, they, my gaps are covered. As a parent, it's part of, I can roll it over to, to God. I can expect God's going to fill in. If I uh, have advice that I want to give, they might not want to hear it, or it could be wrong. I know that I have given wrong advice <laughs> as a parent. I did. <laughs> On big stuff. <laughs> and that, my kids listen to me. And, they, you know, and then afterwards, you're thinking, they need to hear for themselves. And especially as they become adults, you know, you're starting to step back and watch them in charge. So you, bringing, bringing your kids to the Holy Spirit and introducing them and letting that Holy Spirit be alive in them and so that they're hearing from them. It, it's just, it takes a lot of pressure off as a parent. It, it just means it's the same thing that these women saw. They believed the promise and God did the rest. And that's what, as a parent... Those small things of just sharing with your kids and making it real to them, because you are qualified to do that, you don't have to wait for some Sunday school teacher who knows you know, everything to do it. It's you. Um, you can just tell them and, and watch God move and do the rest. So, back to you. <laughs> Collaborating is awesome, guys. You know, I'm going to speak to that. I'm freeballing it. Yeah, okay. Um, sorry. Mm -hmm. But I remember those moments of praying for the big things. And because my parents' faith, I didn't feel dread. I didn't feel the fear. I didn't feel any of the weight. I felt the excitement of we're believing God. And so I just want to encourage parents, like, yeah, there's big stuff. But God can come alongside. And I just remember we're going to see God do something. And I wasn't in hum uh, encumbered by the weight of it. I just was running free in faith. And I'll say this. It might, not, it might not have looked on the exterior that that was impacting my heart. But I, as an adult, have drawn from those experiences and met God in my own way because of them. And have stood on my own faith because I watched my parents do it and they included me in that. Even in the teenage angst, and there was a touch of teenage angst, my parents were so steady that nothing, I mean, I just wasn't robbed of that faith, even if on the surface it didn't look like it was going very deep. So tell your stories and include your children because it's building that legacy. You know, in these ladies, you see in their children faith and character and um, believing Jesus or believing God because, you know. Well, then you saw David. Jeez. Anyway, moving on. Um, they, that came from that line. But with our kids, Sam and I have, have three kids, and we've tried to make this real too. Now, they're almost six, but they're five and under. And what we have done and what we've seen God just come through for us is, you know, we're in the process of building this house, and it has been a war with the weather to not let any rain into this project. And so Henley has come alongside and Ledger has come alongside. And when we see the storm clouds in the sky, we have asked Jesus to God, Jesus, would you make the wind go calm? And Jesus, and honestly, this is more Henley than it is even me. Jesus, would you just hold that rain? And Jesus has come through and made it not rain. <laughs> he made it, the wind go down. In fact, the other day, I think it was Friday, the days are just enmeshed. But I think it was Friday where it said there was going to be a storm, and maybe it was Thursday, I don't know. But the rain held until the shingles were on, and then we watched it come, and I was able to tell Henley, I bet there's a farmer somewhere that's been praying for rain, but Jesus held it for us. He held it for us. Come on, that's real. He held it for us, and he met us in this project, and now he's meeting that farmer where they needed him. And so Jesus was just even so real in that. You know, uh, Ledger is my three-year-old, and I hear him on a regular basis. He goes, I don't have to fear. God's here. And so stuff is coming because we've talked about how the enemy can make you afraid, but all he can do is lie. He's so little, and he smells icky, and he, all he can do is lie, taking the fear away. And it's amazing when it comes out of their own mouth. You know, another thing is I've got a little guy. He's one and a half this month, and we keep some worship music on at nighttime. Just, you know, the presence of the Lord, come and fill that bedroom and fill their dreams. But we'll see him regularly run 
to their room because they'll go to bed first and then he'll, you know, stay up a little longer. But he'll run to their room and he'll, we'll find him, his hands up in the air and he's spinning around. I know that that's the story of other parents in this room, but I'm just going to encourage you in that. This, that's where it starts. And I'm a testimony to where it can go because I watched it with my mom and dad. So I just want to put honor on that this is real. Bring them along. And then the Holy Spirit, like, he has, the Holy Spirit's been a best friend for my life. And I'm so thankful that it started from a young age. I remember my dad asking me when I was four, um, hey, do you want to ask Jesus in your heart? And I said, no, I want to wait till I'm five. And I remember doing this with my hand. And he goes, why? And I'm like, I didn't have a good enough answer for that. I didn't have a good answer for that. I was just, whatever. So we did it that night. And it was real from that moment on. And, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit's been a friend who's filled in my gaps. And when I fail as a parent or as a, as a daughter, I know I can run to him and that he can forgive and wash. And when I fail as a parent, I go back and I say, I'm sorry. And it gives the Holy Spirit room to heal the spots that need to be healed. So I just want to release hope this morning um, and those things. I mean, these are just testimonies that there are no perfect situations, no perfect stories, no perfect people, no per- perfect circumstances, but God can do something through them. If you grab a hold of the promise and just keep on running. Um, as we close this morning, if you guys want to stand, I just felt like a, um, that God wanted to meet us in these areas that maybe the enemy was lying and reverse the lie so that you could grab onto truth this morning, that he would have to silence his mouth as the accuser. And that there is no striving because if you bring it to him, he'll touch it, he'll bless it, he'll see it forward. But the other thing was for moms specifically or parents specifically, I was pre- we were preparing for this and I was just praying and I really felt like God wanted to touch relationships that were disconnected with kids. So... Um, And that might cause a name or whatever to flash across your mind. But I just felt like there were children that were disconnected from mothers and parents. And God was coming to bring that connection back. Even grown adults, that God was going to meet them where they were. And But there was a commission that those moms that maybe have children that are far off would begin mothering where they are at with those that are around you. Because mothering is less about a baby that's biologically yours and about taking on that nature of a nurture. And so I felt like God wanted to meet you in that, but that was an act of faith that you could meet him too. There's a scripture verse in Isaiah 49. It said, look up and look around you. All your children are gathering to return to you. The Lord says, as surely as I lived, your children will be like jewels, and you will be as proud of them as a bride is of her jewels. So I just felt like that was a promise to cling to. If you have children that are even in your own home and feeling disconnected, or if they're out of your own household, that God could meet you with that. And we're going to pray, but uh, I just wanted to pray and bless you. But the other one was, if you're feeling weary this morning, if you're feeling empty and like, God, I don't, I don't know, you're going to have to do something through me and in me. In Isaiah 49 as well, it says, they, and I want to take this as ours. Come on, with the middle of the night feedings or the, mom, I had a bad dream. Or if you're just a teenage mom running, or got moms, moms of teenagers that are running around to all these events, God wants to meet us here. They will never be hungry and thirsty, either scorching sun or desert when they will never hurt them for, oh, whoa, either. For the loving one will guide them and lead them through restful, renewing streams of water. I will level out as a road for them, and I will raise up the highways. I feel like those are promises that we can just attach to this morning. And so we're going we're gonna to close, and I'm going to hand it over to Dad. But I just wanted to pray for the moms in this room, or just if that was you personally, to just take this as your own, um, that you could rally and rise and step forward in your destiny and calling. So, Father, I just bless 
each one that's here. And I thank you for those promises, God, that you are reconnecting the disconnected places, that you are raising up highways, that you're lowering um, the mountains, that we could walk in a smooth place, and that you're bringing us to those restful, renewing streams of water, and that we can drink of you. I bless each one that's here, that you would come and that you would be more than enough for them, that you would be uh, filling them to overflowing today. And in Jesus' name, I just thank you, Father, that you are the voice that speaks to us, that we're your sheep and we can hear your voice. And so the, the voice of the accuser, the voice of one that wants to keep them stuck, God would be silent in Jesus' name. And I come against striving in the name of Jesus that their feet could run so fast and they're founding their strength in their relationship with you today. In Jesus' name, I just thank you for it. I thank you for a special touch on each household, on each person that's here this morning. And we just thank you for it, God. Just as we saw in these beautiful testimonies of the mothers that went before us, God, we take from that faith and we choose to grab it as ours this morning. Amen. I just had a couple of announcements to make before we dismiss. Um, okay, so at our coffee bar there, if you're a mother, whether it's biological or spiritual, why we've got a special coffee drink for you and, a, and chocolate. Chocolate's always good. And then we're having fellowship and back today. Uh, so we invite you to come back to the, the dining area and we'll visit. Uh, beautiful outside and we got the, the patio furniture out too. So um, uh, you might want to enjoy the patio even. And uh, but, but boy, th thanks so much for coming to church today. And man, I, I'd like you to remember at, during this week, God's favor is on your life. I mean, his blessing and favor is, he actually says it's chasing you down. And, and, and man, just like we heard this morning uh, from uh, these two ladies here, um, you know, you're a part of bringing heaven to earth, and you're qualified. God says you're qualified. You know, in our nation, why they call us flyover country. In our state capital, they say we're the rocks and cows people. But God says you're qualified. And, and so, I, I mean, you're his son, you're his daughter. Man, have a great week. Thanks for coming. <laughs>